Lisa Clancy defeated an incumbent member of the St. Louis County Council by over 20 percentage points last year. And after being sworn in in early January, the Maplewood Democrat has ambitious goals for a county that's dealing with monumental challenges. Clancy joins us next on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about what she wants to accomplish in office and her thoughts on a potential city-county merger. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Lufius Alfa Romeo, offering test drives of the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the 2018 Motor Trend Car of the Year at Lufius Alfa Romeo in Fairview Heights. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today in St. Louis is colleague Joe Manis and the county councilwoman for both. Joe Manis and Jason Rosenbaum, we have as our very special guest, our first of 2019, by the way. <laughs> Lisa Clancy, County Councilwoman for District 5, St. Louis County Council. We're th- we're You're a Democrat? Where are you from? Just so that I know. am a Democrat. I am from Webster Groves, Missouri, born and raised, but currently live in Maplewood with my husband and two-year-old. And where'd you go to high school? Webster Groves High School, statesman, class of 2003. Well, you obviously saw that question coming. I did, (laughs) longtime listener. So I want to get a sense of kind of your background and what prompted you to get into uh, county politics. We also need to ask you, just so our listeners understand exactly where your district is, kind of what your boundaries are. Yeah, it's a huge district. All of the county council districts are pretty big. Um, so my district is covers 16 municipalities and a sliver of unincorporated St. Louis County. Um, the unincorporated portion is, I think, what's known as the Afton School District area, so north of Gravois, if I got my cardinal directions right. Um, it includes most of Crestwood then, Cutting West, um, Kirk, part of Kirkwood, so pretty much everything east of Woodlawn, cuts up into Ladue, so east of Warson Road, most of Olivet, south of Olive, um, University City, uh, I think roughly south of Olive, roughly, and then cuts down into all of Clayton, Richmond Heights, Maplewood, um, Warson Woods, Glendale, do you take in Webster. Shrewsbury or not? Shrew- yes, Shrewsbury as okay, well. Yeah, I'm I don't moving. know that I named all 16, but I got pretty close. Yeah, because I'm moving from Webster to Shrewsbury. Oh, okay. So. Yes, yes, which means she could still be a part of the, the Charter Commission if, if, if we <laughs> convince uh-huh. you in So I'm, I'm being facetious. I'll add you to my short list, yeah, Joe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to, to, to ask you again the, the other question, what prompted you to get involved in county politics? I know from talking with you during the campaign, you've obviously been interested in public policy and the county uh, for a long time. But I, I want to give you a chance to expound upon that further. Yeah. So let's go back um, to just, you know, me growing up. I think that service has always been in my blood. Um, you know, my family lots of nurses, teachers in my family, um, in my extended family at least. And then uh, my parents, I think, were both servants to some extent. My mom, um, when I was growing up, was the executive director of of CASA in St. Louis County. My father worked with adults uh, with mental illness. Um, And so both, you know, both my parents kind of had um, social work backgrounds, even though that's not what their degrees were in. And I grew up, um, I think, with a lot of those values instilled in me to really care about the community and um, to be engaged and to, you know, lift lift people up where you could and to, you know, sort of have that perspective on um, making things better, especially coming from um, a lot of opportunity and privilege. And so, um, you know, that was volunteering, going to meetings, all that kind of stuff was part of me growing up. And then back to high school at Webster Groves High School, I had a really great opportunity to take a women's studies class, either my junior or senior year in high school, and really um, 
you know, one of the take home messages to me in that class was how much policy it's because of policy that um, I as a woman now can vote, can do a lot of things. And, um, you know, that really got me interested in policy and public service, I think, and um, had the opportunity to volunteer on some campaigns, intern on Senator McCaskill's campaign when I was uh, in college, when she first ran for Senate in 2006, later interned in her D.C. office, um, you know, worked and volunteered on campaigns since then and really you know, started thinking about running for office someday and always really thought more about federal and state politics. Um, And then in the past, you know, four to five years when Michael Brown was killed, started thinking more about the power and opportunity that exists at the local level. Um, You know, always kind of thought, too, I'll probably run for office someday and possibly go to Jeff City. Um... You know, lots of things happen, including having a kid and realizing that going to Jeff City six months out of the year would take me away from my child, whom I love dearly. Um, And, you know, saw an opportunity about a year ago to dig my heels in locally and and be part of some change that I think needs to happen in St. Louis County government to move our region forward. I mean, without belaboring the point, was there a particular reason why you decided to challenge fellow Democrat Dolan? a few months ago, well, um, he was he was up for re-election. I saw, um, you know, an opportunity to bring a new voice and a new perspective to St. Louis County Council. I am the first and only millennial on St. Louis County Council. When I think about um, how important it is for representative government. I thought that that was a voice missing in the table when I look about look at some of the things that are going on in our region right now, um, particularly as I look across city and county lines and see a lot of people my age in the city standing up and, um, you know, serving on the board of aldermen and getting some good things done there. Um, I think that I thank Councilman Dolan for his service, but I thought I thought this was an opportunity to have a new voice in that seat. One of the things I thought was particularly notable about uh, your inauguration speech, um, is that you really mentioned, uh, and you quoted the Ferguson Commission report, mm-hmm. which has often been touted by a lot of people interested in public policy as a way forward after after Ferguson. To, par- to paraphrase part of the Ferguson Commission report, some of the things that work well here in St. Louis only work for some of us, and when that's the case, it impacts all of us. I believe in us, our community, and our region. I know our best days are ahead of us because we will put our hearts and our minds to it. I really haven't seen a lot of county-based candidates really emphasize that. Obviously, someone like Hazel Irby has because Ferguson actually is part of her district. Um, but I found that to be uh, notable that you included that in your, your, your swearing-in speech. And I want you kind of to elaborate how that's going to uh, kind of affect your policymaking going forward. Yeah. So I, um, you know, the Ferguson Commission process was one that I followed really closely and um, have been a very uh, an active supporter supporter of uh, Forward Through Ferguson, the local organization that was stood up to catalyze many of the calls to action or to at least see to it that um, our community had the capacity to implement a lot of those calls to action made by the Ferguson Commission. Um, And I think that that You know, we've heard so many times that shouldn't be a report on a shelf, and it shouldn't be. That report to me, and and it's true, represents hundreds of hours of community members and experts getting together and and taking a very um, wide look at the state of our region and saying, here's how we can improve it, specifically for people of color and those who have been um, disenfranchised and left out of the table for so long. And I know that that is, you know, the investments and the calls to action that the Ferguson and commission commissioners made with the input from experts and the community are things that really are going to move our region forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the things that I said that was in the report is that there's a lot of good things in St. Louis and a lot of things that work really well. The problem is, is that they don't work well for all of us. And when St. Louis works better for all of us, I think we will be a stronger region. So I want to ask you, though, because county council is is kind of the governing board for unincorporated St. Louis County, yeah. but it doesn't have a lot of power over municipalities, which I'm sure that you knew yeah. ahead. How are, we, how are you going to use your perch as county council woman to not only speak for some of these issues, including some issues that maybe you can, you can affect directly, but maybe affect indirectly? 
um, given that given the way the co- the county is kind of structured. Yeah, in fact, I mean, because Jason and I have been tag team tag teaming county government meetings for years. I mean, they don't bring up even those who are sympathetic to some of the stuff in the Ferguson report. It has not been a major issue for the council. I mean, because they're dealing with yeah. other yeah. stuff. So, how do you marry some of that and, into what's and again, going on? I, I don't. I haven't brought this point up publicly, but I saw like more people in for like the ice rink situation than for anything post Ferguson, which signals to me like a problem from county residents, not only from county po- policymakers. But but continue. Yeah. So, um, I. <laughs> I have, I'm one of probably, I hope not one of the few people, I hope there's a lot of people in St. Louis who actually went to Ford through Ferguson's website and printed out the PDF file and have a hard copy of that report. I've read it several times and with different lenses and most recently with the lens of what can St. Louis County government, in particular St. Louis County Council, do to implement these changes. And there's, there's, I think over a dozen things, um, I don't know the exact number, that St. Louis County government is directly on the hook for. Um, there for are things. Okay, so for example, there's a lot of calls to action in, there's three sections in the report. One of them is justice for all. There's a lot of calls to action in that section about police training, for example, both increasing the number of hours for police training and increasing um, the quality and adding in some hours that are targeting, um, you know, training when it comes to bias, um, implicit bias and and um, diversity, equity and inclusion as it comes as as it pertains to law enforcement. Now, that's not something the St. Louis County Council can mandate, but the biggest tool and biggest authority St. Louis County Council has is its budget. And we appropriate over $650 million of resources for St. Louis County. A big portion of that budget goes towards policing. Yeah, and and I- so when I think about, you know, a year from now or you know, less than a year from now, or even the budget committee hearings I got to sit in on in the past few months as a council member, I want to hear from each of the department heads, including the police chief, here's what we are doing to address the region's agenda, particularly when it comes to racial equity. And I want them to be able to tie how they're using their resources back to um, equity and outcomes related to that. And I was just going to say one thing before you ask your next question, Joe. Also, if, if the county executive nominate somebody to the board of police commissioners you can ask that person specific questions about that before you vote whether to mm-hmm. confirm them or not but continue Jeff. yeah i mean but this has come up uh i know uh chief belmar has been it has dressed has discussed some of this um and there has been um discussion at the council meetings by hazel irby and walton gray about um having more training and the police have indicated they're on board but then at the same time uh, the council just cut their budget, and um, your fellow new councilman, Tim Fitch, who's a former county police chief, uh, made clear last night that he's going to be introducing his bill next week to get the money back. I mean, and the implication, they're not tying it to anything, but my point being is if you're calling for extra training and stuff like that, which I think uh, there seems to be almost unanimous agreement mm-hmm. that there needs to be done, is it is it um, can they argue that well yeah we want to do these things but then you guys cut almost five million out of our budget how can we so we can't hire as many people we we want to make sure we have two policemen in a car which they say is key to um, this type of thing because many of them say that what happens sometimes is policemen are in a car by themselves. Yep. And so then they become more wary and more, um, they're more likely to use guns or other things because they need to protect themselves. Whereas if there's two, they're more likely to discuss ways to maybe defuse the situation. So as a councilman, I mean, as I said, Fitch is going to be bringing up this bill next week. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And I know that uh, Chairman Page, I think, will probably push back on it. So, I mean, you're going to be one of the members who's sort of in the middle on this. How do you plan to approach this? Well, um, you know, I don't, um, first of all, to go back to the Ferguson Commission report, the report does not call for um, two-man police cars or even body cameras. I think a lot of people are very surprised to hear that that body cameras are not in the report. I'm not inherently against either of those things, but we haven't had a situation yet where we are being told by the police that, 
we are not able to do these things that are in the Ferguson Commission report because you're withholding our resources. I would oh, they lo- are saying that. I mean, just so you know, they've been saying oh, some okay. of that over the last few months. But go okay, on. well, I, I, I'm not sure that I've heard that directly myself, but I am up for that conversation. Um, I have not seen um, uh, Councilman Fitch's bill. I learned of it last night when everyone else did. I'm eager to see what that is. You know, the thing about those cuts that were made is that um, we have left it open and I think invited um, you know, the police to come and ask for supplemental appropriations. I mean, that's something that's on the table still. And, and I, I, I think that, you know, it's it, we're not saying you, there is no way this year you're going to have access to money to be able to add these additional staff positions for these two-man police cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, because they've been saying for months, frankly, actually probably years, whether, I mean, I'm not arguing whether it's good or bad, but that's one of the things that they've been saying is that if, that two-man police cars, two-person police cars, apology, uh, are the best way, I mean, this is how they're putting it, the best way to um, make sure that there are fewer tense situations because um, the, you know, the, the officers feel they've got somebody there with their back and they can try other options rather than immediately uh, going towards, you know, standoffs or guns or that sort of thing. Well, let me just interject, though. I mean, the county just raised sales taxes by a pretty sizable amount, and I think that the police department has already hired a bunch of people, right, with Prop P funds. Well, see, here's what they did. I mean, this is the fight because um, basically what that's why they're saying you can't be doing this when you when we just passed all this and then you're cutting our money. And uh, this is Prop P was supposed to be helping pay for some of this, and we're not going to be able to fulfill what we promised people. I mean, basically, what the police are alleging is that okay, you pass Prop P, so we get extra money, and then you're taking the other money out. This is similar to what happens on the state level with education, where the lottery money goes mm-hmm. in and other money comes. My out. understanding, though, and maybe you heard this from Councilman Page, is the reason that they cut the money is because they're the the, the council isn't really have a lot of assurances that they're going to be able to hire all these people in the right. 2019 calendar year, and they don't just want to have four point eight million dollars open and them not using it. Exactly, basically. and we've right. seen. That's been the case and previously that there's been money that's been allocated and hasn't been used. And we, we're, we've got some tough decisions to make right now when it comes to um, the budget in St. Louis County. And I don't think that the cuts that we made are unreasonable when you think about it in terms of the big picture here and a bit of a crisis situation on our hands in terms of our overall financial health. We're dipping substantially into our revenue, and and that could have big implications for for everybody in the long term. Do you think that, you know, like a property tax increase or some other increase of taxes may be on the table soon? I mean, I, I, I think that kind of the county executive alluded to that possibility, but obviously that's not a very popular option. You know, I... um. Perhaps it will be on the table soon, depending on who wants it on the table. I, I'm not inherently opposed to that. I think, though, that we need to really do a deep dive on our budget in St. Louis County to be able to um, you know, get a better handle and wrap our arms around the current state of our spending and make sure that we are investing in what works and understanding that, um, you know, getting better measures on how we know what's working and really what our true financial return on investment is. And I think without some of that data and some conversations we need to have as soon as possible, I'm not, I'm hesitant to propose any tax increases. I mean, because I can envision, and I'm not taking sides on this, although obviously Jason and I both live in the county, but I can envision that public safety, which is probably the number one issue for county residents and has been for decades, fair or unfair. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how people see it. And then on the backdrop of what we've just all been discussing, I could see where the council is going to be faced with spending a lot of time discussing this, um, either the training you're proposing, um, the how to handle the cuts, should they be faster hiring, kind of what's going on. I could see where that could take up a lot of the ener- the um, uh, oxygen in the room for the council going forward because uh, while there may be other things in the budget to discuss, right. um, <clears throat> that's going to be what's going to get crowds. That and parks are the two things that... <laughs> well, that's get- what I just mentioned earlier. Like, people get very upset about parks. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. But, but my point is that's what's going to get... Um, get crowds in the audience at council meetings and i think that's where 
uh, especially the new council members. I mean, that's where you're going to yeah. get hit with stuff right away. Fair or unfair, I could, I could, I could see that happening. I, I look it into my crystal ball. I, I don't think that that prediction is far off. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, thing that the three or four people that follow us. Uh, County politics closely talk about all the time, <laughs> and that I'm being a bit facetious there, by the way. Yes, you are. Um, they, and that is kind of the relationship between the council and uh, uh, county executive Steve Stanger. It okay, ca- the county executive has tried to say, like, you know, the council has agreed with me most of the time, which is true because most of the stuff that comes before the council is not controversial. But having been there for the last two years, the relationship hasn't been terribly good between the two sides. There's been a lot of really fierce back and forth between the two, even be- especially between Stinger and Councilman Page. Yeah, and uh, even when this budget situation was going, on, I was following the county executive's Twitter feed. He was retweeting things that basically compared the council to Wisconsin Republicans, which I'm sure you saw as well. <laughs> so I asked uh, County Executive Stinger after he was inaugurated about this topic. I'm going to play this clip and have you respond to it. There's been a lot of political grandstanding going on with the council, but I have to tell you that. The day-to-day operations of county government really don't have anything to do with the council. And the things that we are presenting to the council, they over, I mean, you have to, you're at the council meetings. They overwhelmingly pass what we present. And when I say overwhelmingly, I mean, I mean, I would venture to say it's probably 98% of what we, what we uh, present to them, they pass, maybe more. And there are a few controversial bills where we have differed philosophically and we've differed you know in the in case of for, for instance uh, apprenticeship programs yeah. you know it, w- it was a rarity to see Democrats go against apprenticeship programs well the council wasn't just facing Steve Stenger down the county executive down when they were turning down apprenticeship programs they turned down all of organized labor and in many ways uh, those programs greatly benefit minorities so they were also turning down and facing down um, many in our minority communities. So this isn't me versus them. In many cases, it's sort of them versus what is growing more and more to be them versus really the will of the people and I think the will of, of county residents. With that said, I'm going to keep doing what I do. I think I've been highly effective at what I have been doing. And I mean, you, you heard the speech today, and those were just, I just touched on a few of the things and the ways that I think the county has uh, prospered over the last four years, and the direction that we're moving the county, um, I think, is one that, as you saw in the last election in the general, I, I had overwhelming support, um, won by quite a margin, and I think we're going to continue to do what we've done in order to have those successes for St. Louis County residents. So to the extent that we ruffle some feathers on the council, those feathers are probably going to continue to be ruffled, and I'm totally okay with that. You know, as, as, as it's been said, you have to break some eggs to make omelets, and we've been making some very nice omelets, and we've definitely been breaking some eggs, so I'm proud of that work. I know that was a long clip, but I wanted to make sure the county executive's words were in context because he was making several points. Yes. I, from talking with you briefly on Tuesday, uh, you, you stressed that you're going to work uh, together with anybody for the 5th District, and you're not going to just fall into for or against the county executive. But clearly this dynamic is going to play a role going forward. So I'd be interested in your view. Uh, in a little, I, I'd be interested in your view, not only on the clip, but on the relationship going forward. Yeah, I. Um, it disappoints me that uh, there is not more collaboration between the executive branch and, and the council. Um, it is what it is right now, and I've got a lot of things that I need to see for myself. And, um, you know, it's hard to collaborate with um, with anyone that won't come to the table. I was, you know, honestly, I was really disappointed to turn to my left last night and see an, uh, an empty seat where the county executive should have been sitting. Um, you know, I think that, you know, to even to reiterate what what uh, County Prosecutor Wesley Bell said on Tuesday, he said, you know, you go together, go farther. And I think we can get more things done if we go together. But I think that there's, you know, some history there that I wasn't a part of. And I don't even need to know all the details of to know that there's been some bridges that have been burned, unfortunately. And I'm not here to cast blame or um you know, or even judge that. It just, it is what it is. Um, 
You know, I at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm not there because I want what's best for the council or because I want what's best for the executive. It's because I want what's best for the people in my district and for the region as a whole. And that's, I mean, that's part of my North Star. And, and just before you ask a question, he said that he's met with you since you were elected. Is that true, first of all? Yeah, we, sure. had, we had breakfast shortly after I won my primary. He reached out. It was very gracious of him to do so and, you know, offered to introduce me to some folks and be of assistance and... You know, um, I, I appreciated that was a nice gesture. Now, um, since I covered the council meeting um, last night, of course, by people by the time people hear this, uh, being a few days, but you did have to take some sides on already one of the combative issues between the the council and Stinger, which is over legal representation. I mean, the bottom line is that the the a majority of the council has long maintained that the county councilor is not giving them good advice on some issues or because he is he's a direct report to Stanger, you know, Stanger hires or fires him. And, of course, they went before voters in 2018 to ask to allow them to have their own lawyer. Voters rejected that narrowly, but they did reject it. It was like 50 votes. It, right, it was right. actually less than that. It okay. was very close. And I just want to point this out. Right. It was a but recount, right? But it was, still yeah. it lost. It I lost. mean, I'm yes. not, it's just like, yeah. I mean, it's just and, like when you But this you is not surprising. Off. I asked Ernie Trakis a while ago, is, are you going to put this back on the ballot? And this was months ago. He said yes, but continued. Yeah, but the point is, is that what they voted to put back on the ballot is something that's a little different, where it would basically divide the counselor's office into three silos. And I'm simplifying it, but that's the bottom line. They would all report to the county counselor uh and but there would be a silo for the council a silo for the judges and a silo for uh handling stuff dealing with stanger's administration now uh fitch uh, voted against it saying he thought this was ridiculous now you went ahead and voted in favor of putting it on the ballot but then you also gave a speech where you were trying to explain why you were taking that position. Do you want to paraphrase some of that a little bit so that our listeners have a sense of, because you were sort of thrown in the middle of this at your first meeting. Well, there were two There were two separate issues, Correct. I think, that Correct. all go, though, to the need for the council to have their own lawyer. So my first vote, actually, I... I Yes, I wish this important. wasn't the truth. It was to override a veto from the county executive. And um, that was for legal representation that they're receiving from a private law firm dealing with their ethics committee. Well, it, we ahead. haven't started receiving it yet. We need that was right. what the and I think that um, you know given some of the issues that have come to light with the economic development partnership and some some concerns there that warrant some deep investigation, we need legal counsel. And currently, the status quo is that the county has um, a county counselor, a lawyer, um, and that is appointed by the county executive. And I think that, um, you know, until very, you know, in the past few years, when the council has really asserted its authority and, and even gotten and asked for more because they need strong, you know, they need every tool they can get to provide oversight. Um, we have seen that, um, that structure doesn't meet the council's needs and maybe in some situations might not meet. Well, I don't know if this is so much the case, but I guess there could be a world in which it doesn't meet the executive's needs either. But the point is, there's not clarity on who the client is. And in these situations where we do have disagreements between the county executive and the county council, again, if you're not clear on who the client is that this lawyer is supposed to be serving, you're going to reach some problems. And so um what the council wanted to do and what I chose to cast an overriding vote on Sanger's veto on is to contract at a very reasonable rate with an attorney who will provide, um, there was a not to exceed on it, I don't remember what that number was, but um, some legal advice as we move forward with some of these ethics committee investigations, particularly in regards to the partnership. And that was going to be my next question. I want you- I read I read the same Post-Dispatch article you've, re- you've read, and just to summarize, uh, you know, it says that a lot of Stanger's donors were kind of steered toward the partnership to get lucrative contracts. It said that the partnership, which has a majority of council members appointed by the county executive, was basically shifting all their opportunities to the county and not to the city, which, if you're a city policymaker, is pretty alarming. Um, and then just today, we're recording this on Friday, Sheila Sweeney was is out as the partnership CEO, and there's conjecture about investigations and whatnot. What are you hoping that the Ethics Committee look into this 
accomplishes? Because clearly this is a very important agency, but it seems like it's an agency in turmoil right now. And the council probably wants to know what the heck is going on. Well, basically. and it's also because it's it's also tied to the city. You have to have, I mean, you know, the city is going to have to be involved as well as far as any investigation, as far as making any major changes. The city would have to go along with it, too. So go ahead. I mean, I think you kind of answered the question you asked. I mean, what I hope to accomplish is to get a better idea of what's going on and hearing from the folks that are closest to it themselves. So um, I think three members of the uh, Partnerships Board have been asked to appear before the committee on January 15th. Um, Not sure who plans to respond to that request. I think one person has said that they will be there, but um, I hope that that is a... A, a good dialogue, um, which is noteworthy that that's even happening and that we've gotten someone to cooperate because from my understanding and from following this, you know, for the past, you know, over a year, 18 months or so, we haven't gotten a lot of partners- partnership from the partnership. Um, and even looking into some of these issues related to the appearance that there's maybe some unethical behavior going on there. So let's shift uh, to another area of city-county cooperation, and that is the impending release of Better Together's plan for some sort of city-county merger, union, consolidation, consolidation, however you want to call it. Um, Before we talk about the nitty-gritty, I talked with you about this issue when you were running uh, for county council, and I want you to just kind of explain your general perspective on this, because It'll inform the listeners and inform the questioning going forward of just how much of whether the city should be brought into the county in a formal way or or something like that. So my general feeling on it is I am open to the discussion. I'm excited about the discussion. Um, Well, it's going to be a hard discussion, I think, in a lot of ways, too. It's going to be an interesting couple of years for this region. Um, I... You know, I think that fragmentation in our region is a big problem, and that exists in a lot of ways. Um, You know, not only city versus county, but also in terms of all the municipalities we have in St. Louis County. We're competing with each other instead of with similar cities um, for economic opportunity and opportunity in general. I um, so that's my general sentiment. I'm open. I'm curious to see what Better Together recommends. I don't know what recommend what's being recommended. I know there's lots of rumors, but. Um, eager to read the report myself. And I will say, if um, any recommendation, you have my ear if you can tell me that um, that you will that your plan will move the needle when it comes to racial equity and equitable outcomes in the region, um, that your plan has been informed by the best data and evidence possible, and that your plan has um, a wide swath of community input. Now, um, you know, one of the pushbacks by some, is the fact that some of the proponents and some of the proponent groups, including Better Together, get some of their money from a uh, wealthy financier, major donor, uh, re- generally Republican donor, Rex Singfeld, who has been pushing for some sort of consolidation, who's been pushing for, has actually got stuff on the ballot about the earnings tax, who, did, who was also behind the successful effort to give the city more control over its police department, and who um, has also been an advocate of getting rid of the state income tax. So uh, my question being, the fact that you've got, and I'm sure there's some other major donors behind it too, the point that there is politics behind some of this. Yes. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is. It's not just people are nobly looking at these reports. There's also some people who have views on both sides, and some of them have a lot of money behind it. And uh, so I'm interested in how you will be dealing with that part of the minefield um, going forward. Yeah, I think that that is, that's the reality um, in terms of some of the impetus of the conversation right now. Um, You know, I... I, you know, it gives me a little bit, a little bit of pause, to be honest with you, too. Um, you know, follow the money, kind of what, what could be the motives behind this. Um, I have that concern. I don't know that, um, you know, whatever is proposed is going to be perfect. I mean, ultimately, it kind of, again, I have to see what's being proposed. But I, it is unfortunate, um, regardless of merit, that um, Mr. Sinkfield is a poison pill for so many people. And I think that that in and of itself is going to put up a barrier to um, 
you know, even giving this this plan probably the full consideration it deserves. I, I will just say, yes, yeah, Singfeld is probably going to be doing a lot of funding of this, but he is not the only wealthy interest or non-wealthy interest that's interested in this No, issue. but he's the biggest source well, of the money. Well, we'll have to in, see. In most we'll cases, have, we'll have to see he who has donates. been. I, I, before we get into the whole question of who votes on this, I want to delve a little bit more into the racial equity part, because I think this is a... I think this is one of the most important questions of this entire thing. If this merger situation is done incorrectly, I could see it just obliterating black political power in the region where, you know, a region with a large African-American population just loses a lot of representation at high levels. Now, I want to be clear, the proposal that's in the, the, the business journal is not necessarily the final proposal. I, I, I think we're going to have to wait until January. But I think a lot of people, especially in St. Louis City, are a bit alarmed that if that is the case where St. Louis City government no longer exists, there's no mayor, there's no board of aldermen, there's no board of aldermen president, you're losing a lot of positions that could hypothetically be filled by African-Americans and then creating a population. I'm not sure what the exact percentage is going to be, but it's probably going to be 60-40 white. Obviously, we went through an election cycle where Wesley Bell won 75-25, so I'm not saying it's impossible, but it creates the barrier. I know that, And I know that's just kind of a jumbled observation more than a question, but I'd like to hear what your expectations are on that, because I think it's going to be a pretty foremost issue going forward. Well, I'm a process junkie. How things get done matters. Um, you know, one of the concerns I have about the statewide vote, for example, is I don't want this to be something that happens to the St. Louis region. I want this to happen if it happens because the St. Louis region wants it. And we have to think about, you know, the demographics of that and how um, this could either um, hinder or help people along lines of race and class. And I think what, you, you know, the point you brought up is very valid. I don't know enough about what's being proposed and how it would be implemented to really feel like I can give a great answer, um, you know, a great response to what you're bringing up. But, you know, I would presume that there would still have to be a legislative body for this new entity. Um, districts would have to be redrawn in some way. Um, I don't know that I I totally buy into the to the idea that um, there's a lot of people, you know, the black political um, establishment would would lose their power or not. I just don't know. We don't know because we don't know what the plan is. And there's probably I would hope that whatever the plan is, there's lots of opportunities for a lot of people with different perspectives to get on board to shape it in a way um, that will lead to equity. But if there's a statewide vote and I'm not advocating one way or the other, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. If it's a statewide vote, any any and and frankly, statewide, the population is about eighty eight percent, eighty five percent white. Yeah. In the state of Missouri, yeah. you would basically have whites determine overwhelmingly what will be the political makeup in St. Louis and St. Louis County going forward, and that would include a lot of rural voters who have very, um, you know, different views. In many cases, very disparaging views of how the St. Louis and St. Louis County, the whole metro area, are operated, even though the metro area um, is at least probably about a third of the vote. Um, if you use the collar counties, you're getting up to 40%. But still, I mean, my point being is that you would have overwhelmingly rural, overwhelmingly white, determining what the power structure would be in the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County, where, as Jason points out, if you put those two together, it's probably about 60-40 white. If it's just the city of St. Louis, about half and half. Right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I I'm not sure if race would be considered for many of the state voters. Is is my bottom line? Even if it should be. Yeah, I you know I. I don't know. And I, I have to say, too, I'm not I'm not thrilled with the idea of a statewide vote. I don't know. Um, I have questions still about, you know, what what's driving that? Is that purely a strategic decision? Is that a legal decision? I, I don't know. But um, I have some concerns about that. Well, well, let me just play a clip now from Will Ross, who okay. actually is part of the Better Together okay. Task Force. It's me talking to him in July 2017 about the exact question about whether this idea should be put up for a statewide vote. This is his full answer. Well, I really think that this is a a, a regional issue. I mean, this is an issue that affects the St. Louis community, the city and the county. Uh, it affects our, our, our kids, it affects our, our schools, it affects our fire departments, our police departments. 
it, it affects our, our, our ability to, to buy a, a, a good home, to raise our families. This is a St. Louis issue, and this is best uh, resolved uh, through forums that involve St. Louisans. Uh, I, I hope that that process continues. Uh, I'm aware of what's being considered at the state. Uh, I think that the, I'm now speaking candidly, you know, as someone, this is my personal perspective. I don't think that's the best route to take uh, uh, to put this in the hands of, you know, of a statewide ballot initiative. I, I think St. Louisans are proud of what we can do here at, at home. I want this to be a St. Louis project with a St. Louis outcome. I think that's going to really show that, that we really are sincere and, 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 and embracing the perspectives of those who are here in this region. So I, I, me and Rachel Lipman wrote an article about Stanger and St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruz and basically saying about it has to go to a statewide vote because, you know, what they're trying to create is an entirely new thing. Also, if it went through the Board of Freeholders process, it's possible that the what comes out at the end of that process isn't what Better Together is proposing. I'm not going to bore people with the procedural details. But, I mean, that's not like somebody who's anti-city county merger. That's somebody who's part of the Better Together task force. It just strikes me that if they present something that's going to go before statewide voters and you play clips like that, people are going to be like, what what the heck is going on here? So I, I'd like your perspective on that. I think I agree with Dr. Ross. Um, you know, again, I have questions about what what is actually driving the recommendation. If that is the recommendation, again, we don't know yet um, for it to be a statewide vote. I, you know, again, is it legal? Is it strategic? What? I, I but I, I agree with the comments that he's making. I mean. I share those concerns. This is a, a St. Louis decision with a St. Louis outcome. Or I mean, it should be. I mean, if you have a statewide vote on something, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, that's unpopular, let's say, in St. Louis County, where St. Louis County, a majority of voters, or at least the expectation is a majority of voters, have traditionally opposed any sort of merger, consolidation, reentry, whatever, for decades. Um, I mean, frankly, for over 100 years, uh, for good or bad. Does it make sense to have a statewide vote on something when the people who would be affected don't want it? I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, how would that play out? I mean, I don't know. I don't, on principle, I have a problem with that. And I think that just kind of comes from my uh, sort of perspective and experience and core beliefs as a social worker even. You don't do you do not do to, you do with. And I want this to be something that um, the St. Louis community is, is driving and is part of. Mm-hmm. My last question on this topic before we let you go is on the education piece. Yes. Better Together, I want to make this clear. Better Together has never promised from when it started in 2013 that it was going to consolidate school districts or deal with education. So, and I'm going to, def- I'm defending Better Together a little bit. It's it's not realistic to expect this plan to have something that they said explicitly they're not going to have. Yeah. You could make the argument that, you know, after Ferguson, maybe they should have re- rejiggered their focus. But, you know, that needs to be made clear. I will say, and I'm going to be making this point a lot, and I know this affects me personally, um, but it needs to be said. If this goes through, there are going to be a lot of ancillary educational issues that are going to need to be addressed. Um, and, and the one that comes to mind that's close to my heart is the special school district. Yep. It's going to be a really difficult sell to parents in St. Louis public schools that they're not getting the same resources as St. Louis County schools through the special school district. But if, they don't pay the taxes. If, if they're in the same jurisdiction. I mean, yes, they're going to have to pay the taxes. I don't think that St. Louis City residents should get the services without paying. But I, I, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. There are are clear disparities in money between this SLPS and the county schools. It's the reason I live in your county district right now. And I, I hope that this process causes people to talk about these things more openly and do something about it. Because don't just do it for people like me. Do it for people that can't move to the county. And that's why, one of the reasons I'm personally glad we're even talking about this right yeah. now. Maybe it Maybe this is the next step. I, so that's more of a me getting on my soapbox than anything else. But I li- I'd like to hear your perspective on if the next piece of this is education and, and it, whether that is the important next step. Or is this that talk. too explosive? Go ahead. Uh, 
so, you know, what you're touching on, Jason, is something that's near and dear to me, too, as a former teacher, um, former, uh, you know, staff member of Teach for America in St. Louis. I spent the early part of my career really thinking about the opportunity gap in education um, in, in the St. Louis region and beyond. And um, I do think that ultimately... Um, our outcomes, particularly around equity and opportunity, are very limited if we're not going to do something to fundamentally change um, our education system here. You know, I don't, I don't know why uh, Better Together. Uh, you know, they have made it clear they're not going to be doing anything with education. Um, I, you know, I do wonder, though, if depending on, um, you know, what comes out of the conversation that's coming up or even the changes that are made, um, if that will organically lead to um, some, you know, scrutiny about how education is delivered in this region. And um, it could be the next step in a process that ultimately could have lots of different phases. I don't know. I mean, I know that there have been folks, um, you know, years ago, even with what the Spain Howard commission that I learned about in a post-dispatch column (laughs) that still has stuck to me over five years now um, for calling for consolidation in one regional school district. And and even more recently, um, my own school board president in Maplewood Richmond Heights, Katie Kaufman, um, called for that. And she's also the leader of Ready by 21 St. Louis. So um, that's a conversation I'd be up for having, too. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's what is going to be coming around the the, the bend with these recommendations. But I think you're spot on. Yeah, I think that's the next step, especially if this passes. But as I mentioned, they never promised education, so we can't mm-hmm. expect them to, but I think it's coming next. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I look at the last time there was a big talk about a lot of this. I mean, there's been other periods, but in the late 80s, where Gene McNary, who was then county executive, they set up this board of freeholders. Yeah. They were trying to uh, consolidate um, the number of municipalities to a, roughly about 30. Uh, there was also some discussion about school districts. Uh, the city and county were merging some health care services back in the day when the city and the county both had yeah. hospitals to serve the public who couldn't afford private. And nothing happened other than the hospitals ended up closing. Um, I mean, nothing happened. For all that discussion, for all the brouhaha, for all the coverage over years, nothing happened. So when you look at it now, I mean, is there, I mean, is there any con- concern that we're going to be having all this talk? And maybe even a vote, but in the end, nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope that's not the case. Even if it doesn't work out the way some people want it to, maybe then we can say, well, um, if it doesn't work, here's why. And here here's where we can go from here so that we're not totally losing the parts of it that maybe are appealing to people. I, I don't know. I mean, we... I'm uncertain about where this is going to go. And what I mean, even just yesterday, last night, I got home from the council meeting ready to end my day. And I read um, that Chief Belmar has his own proposal. I and I wonder if I wonder if there's going to be, you know, competing proposals. Yes. Or uh, proposal get in or whatever you want to call proposal it. Proposal get in 2020. Um, what what immediate role do you think the county council might have? Hmm. I, that's been on my mind, um, you know, especially as I think about the Charter Commission and are there any intersections with the work of the Charter Commission and and sort of this idea of, of uh, consolidated government. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that right now. It's the right question to ask, though. Um, you know, at, at this point, I would encourage, um, you know, myself and the rest of the folks in the council to really try their best to understand this proposal. And, you know... I, it could be such that there are, um, you know, resolutions or, you know, that sort of thing passed. But, um, you know, I, I think that the county council and everyone on it is in a position to influence this one way or the other as well. And this is something that we need to have a good understanding of as leaders in our region. Well, Councilwoman, I just want to thank you so much for taking 45 minutes of your time to talk about these important issues. Now, before we sign off, we have to make kind of a somewhat important announcement. Um, this is going to be the last show for at least two months for jo- for Joe Manis here. Um, as many of you know, she's going into semi-retirement, which requires her to be off for a couple of months. Yeah, because, well, I have all this vacation that has to be used. Okay. And frankly, I'm, as I briefly mentioned, I have some personal changes that are going on. We're, we're moving and selling, I mean, hopefully has selling, and doing all this stuff in my personal life that needs to be done. Uh, I'm not one of these people, and and I and there's strong people like Jason Rosenbaum, and they'll be hiring somebody else in my position. It may be a different type of job, 
But um, hopefully, I mean, they want me to try to come back in some sort of part-time capacity um, in late March or somewhere. Maybe that'll work out. Maybe it won't. Um, the uh, Politically Speaking podcast is really close to my heart. And so I'm really hoping to still be involved in some way at that time. But, yeah, I mean, who knows? Jason, after a couple months, you may be like, geez, no, so much nicer that, with her not well, around. That is not going to happen, Joe. I'm just – but I am letting our listeners know that you won't yeah. be hearing from Joe for a couple of months. But she will be back as one of the hosts of this show. We're probably going to expand our, our host legion to, like, four people now, basically. And who knows? Maybe I'll give it give this host – job up to somebody else but i just want to thank you joe for everything that you've done for journalism for myself for st louis public radio i know that you're not leaving completely but i would not be where i am today without you so i just want to say that into a microphone for posterity um but you'll be back soon enough so i'm not this isn't this isn't uh your politically speaking funeral so to speak no and well i i because i'm addicted to it Jason's kind of got me, caught me off guard here. But I, if, I'm witnessing a moment here. It's great to be part of it. Because um, I can't really, I have such respect for Jason. I'll just leave it at that. But um, because I'm addicted to Twitter, you'll probably still see me on Twitter. Um, but I will continue to try to keep generally my opinions out of it, other than, you know, I do a lot of FYIs. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a great field, but I don't want to be one of these people who hangs around too long. And I want to, I need some time to do other things in my life as well. Well, Councilwoman, you've just witnessed a historic <laughs> yeah, moment. Yeah, and I want, and Joe, I want to echo Jason's gratitude. I mean, you. I, I longtime listener, and I, I remember you were at the Post for a long time. Thirty-two right? years. Yeah, that's what I think I remember you from um, growing up here. But wow, I'm, I'm I feel honored that I get to be here with you on your way out the door. So enjoy enjoy your cooling off period. Yeah, I mean I think everybody needs that. <laughs> yes. So for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. It's J M A N N I E S. And you can follow the Councilwoman at. Lisa D, middle initial D, Clancy. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. 